Hi and welcome to St Ninian Sermons Podcast. I'm Stuart Cutler, I'm the Minister of St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse in Scotland. St Ninian's is a local ecumenical partnership between the United Reformed Church and the Church of Scotland. That means that we reflect the traditions of both denominations in our work and worship. This week in worship we focused on Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 2, chapter 2, verses 10b to 13, chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, chapter 8, verses 5 to 7, and chapter 5, verses 10 to 16. We also read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So, here's this week's passages read by George, and after that, the sermon. said at the start when we uh, when the choir sang that sometimes we do things that we've never done before in church so we're about to do something I'm pretty sure we've never done before in church. Uh, George is going to read for us this morning from Song of Songs. Good morning and make yourself comfortable. <laughs> I thought this was an April Fool. <laughs> Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear in the earth, the time of singing is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines in blossom give forth their fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Behold, thou art fair, my love, behold, thou art fair. Thine eyes are as doves behind thy veil. Thy hair is a flock of goats, that trail down from the Gilead. Thy teeth are like a flock of ewes, all shaped alike, which are coming up from the washing, whereof all are paired, and none faileth among them. Thy lips like a thread of scarlet, and thy mouth is comely. Thy exercises are like a programmatic split, open behind thy veil. Thy neck is like the Tower of David, built with turrets, whereon there hang a thousand shields, all the armour of the mighty men. Thy two breasts are like two fawns that are twins of gazelle, which feed among the lilies. Until the day breath and the shadows flee away, I will get me to thee, the mountain of mirth, and to the hill of frankincense. Thou art all fair, my love, and there is not a spot in thee. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened thee. There thy mother was in travail with thee. There was she in travail and brought forth. Set me as a seal upon thy heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is strong as death, jealously as cruel as the grave. The flashes thereof are flashes of fire, a very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, he would utterly be condemned. My beloved is white and ruddy, preeminent above ten thousand. His head is as the most fine gold, his locks are curled and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside the water brooks, washed with milk and filthy set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as banks of sweet herbs. His lips are as lilies dropping with flowers mirth. His hands are as rods of gold set with beryl. His body is as polished ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as statues of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His aspect is like this Lebanon excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, 
O daughters of Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am noisy, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophecy and know all the mysteries and all the knowledge I have, all faith so I can remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I receive no benefit. Love is patient, love is kind, it is not envious, love does not brag, it is not puffed up, it is not rude, it is not self-serving, it is not easily angered or resentful. It is not glad about injustice, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends, but if there is our prophecies, they will be set aside. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be set aside. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but what is perfect comes from the partial will be set aside. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became an adult, I set aside childish ways. For now we see in a mirror indirectly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, and I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. George. Has anybody ever heard Song of Songs read in church before? One. It used to be, back in the day, that it was the only book that was written down. So what we read today would have been the only book that was available to read and worship. Before the scrolls and the prophets and all that kind of stuff. Song of Songs, which is a book basically of erotic poetry, is right in the middle of the Old Testament. And we're going to be thinking about love over the next four weeks. And the first part of that, what we're going to think of, is the idea of eros, erotic love, which I'm guessing you probably haven't heard a lot of sermons on either. So it could be a fun Sunday. Or it could be the most embarrassing thing you've ever sat through. We'll see. But let's sing before we get to that part. Jesus loves me, this I know. You notice the children didn't come in this morning. That wasn't because of the reading. They'd already planned to do Lego today. If anybody wants to join them, now's your chance. Too late. Over the next four weeks, we are going to be talking about something that I think is perhaps our greatest source of joy and our greatest source of problems, something that's our highest aspiration and also the source of our greatest disappointments. We're going to talk about love. Love is important and wonderful and difficult and embarrassing and inspiring and a whole lot of other things. And because of that, I think it deserves our attention and as many words as we can muster to do it justice. After all, God is love. And in particular, we're going to look at four different kinds of love, perhaps more correctly, four aspects of love, because they're not really separate. The Greeks called these four loves eros, erotic love, philia, 
friendship or brotherly love, storge, which is love for family, and agape, love for God and our fellow humans. And we're exploring the Greek ideas of love because the New Testament is written in Greek. That's the language that Paul and the others who wrote the Gospels used to explain these words. We've mentioned them before, but only in passing. So we're going to spend a bit of time each week exploring what each of these different kinds of love are about. The first reading today, sorry George, is exposes this kind of love, this eros, this erotic love. And it's something that we hardly ever talk about in church. And I think that's a problem. So no sniggering at the back. And apologies if this is the most uncomfortable 15 minutes of your life. But this is important. Really important. Eros was the Greek god of love. Webster's Dictionary defines Eros as, are you listening? You need to pay attention to this, this is good. The sum of life-preserving instincts that are manifested in impulses to gratify basic needs as sublimated impulses and impulses to protect and preserve the body and mind. Did you get that? I had to look up most of the words in that sentence. The sum of life-preserving instincts that are manifested by impulses to gratify our basic needs as subliminated impulses and as impulses to protect and preserve the body and mind. So, I think that means that Eros has something to do with our drive to continue life, both our own and that of our species. It's about reproduction, partly. And within that, we might recognize that there are feelings and emotions that we don't always understand and we don't always expect and sometimes that we don't even have much control over. But that all of these feelings are at least often, or potentially, pleasurable. The word erotic comes from the same root as eros. So in short, eros has a lot to do with sex. And that's something that the church has had lots of problems with over the years. So like all things that are difficult, we tend not to talk about it, at least not properly. And because we don't talk about it properly, we probably don't really know what we think. And because we don't talk about it and know what we think about it, it's easy for people to convince us that it's wrong or worse that it's dirty and sinful. One of the most striking pieces of art in Christianity is Bernini's sculpture, The Ecstasy of St. Teresa. It's in a church in a back street in Rome because they didn't really know what to do with it. St. Teresa was a nun. She led, led a Carmelite order in Spain. She was part of the uh, the drive uh, as part of the counter-reformation, so to renew and restore the Catholic Church. And she was a very, very holy and pious woman. And yet in her autobiography, Teresa describes a visitation by an angel who thrusts a spear in and out of her heart, causing her to burn with love for God. And the way that she describes it, she uses erotic language. 
And the people of those times and since have been at a loss to understand how such a pious and holy woman could use such terms. And Bernini's statue puts her in that situation. Her face is a a face of ecstasy. How could a nun describe her encounter with God in terms such as this? But God created us and created within us this eros, this sense of erotic love, which includes physical and emotional pleasure or even ecstasy. So why should her experience be so unusual? Since the Reformation, we've tried to limit our faith to our heads. Faith is something to think about, to consider, to write about and to converse about and to to do lots of thinking about. It lives in our head. And when it does that, it becomes disconnected from our bodies. It's something that Paul wrote about a lot. It becomes disconnected in particular from our physical sensations and their emotions. A large part of what we think of as erotic is sex. Sex is, so I'm told, enjoyable. It's physical. It engages our senses and our emotions, and the church has been particularly bad at talking about things well, that are fun. I spoke recently about the word profane. Remember, it means outside the temple. And I think we could quite comfortably describe the erotic as profane. We're surrounded by erotica and sexualized images. Our advertising is full of Diet Coke men and Cadbury's Flake women. We're supposed to think when we watch that that drinking a particular soft drink or eating a crumbly bit of chocolate will make us more attractive instead of fat. (laughs) It sends us all kinds of mixed messages and unhelpful images. Another example might be the Fifty Shades series of books and films, which are about a particular kind of sex and sexuality, and they've been a massive success. So it's reasonable to make the assumption that some of you have read them or seen them. It's also a fair bet that if I asked you to put your hands up, most of you wouldn't. But why not? Why wouldn't we own up to having read something like that or watched something like that? So it seems as though we have a problem. We're just not comfortable talking about this kind of love. Or we are, actually. We talk about it all the time, but just not in church. Sex is a part of our lives that is incredibly private, and rightly so. But our inability to have sensible grown-up conversations about it, about sex and sexuality and sexualization, has a massive implication on the health and well-being of our society. In today's context, it's also vitally important because eros, the erotic love that we have for one another, is a gift from God. Plato, the Greek philosopher, thought that eros was fundamentally the creative impulse which has a sensual or erotic love or desire about it. A creative impulse. Perhaps the problem has been that the the line between erotic love and lust 
is a very fine line. Lust is the desire that tips over into obsession or selfish gratification or the need to control or even into violence. And those are without doubt bad things. And so in an attempt to avoid those bad things, we've just bundled everything to do with sex up into a big bundle and locked it in a cupboard. And we don't talk about it. The problem with erotic erotic love, though, is that it's been there since the very start. The culture that surrounded the early church was one where sex had been commodified and cheapened. Temples to the Greek and Roman gods often involved prostitution. Sex wasn't about the physical expression of love in a committed relationship. Sex was about selfish pleasure or exercising power over someone with no regard for their well-being. And in lots of ways, that's what we've come to think of as erotic. And that's a problem because eros is not about selfish physical pleasure. It's about a spiritual connection which is expressed partly through physical contact. And the ancients knew that. The poems that we read from Song of Songs are erotic poetry. And they're in the Bible. They're in the Bible because they're about the attraction that people feel for one another as part of their love for one another. And that's described largely in physical terms. Some of them are brilliant. Your hair dances like a flock of goats bounding down the the Gilead. Your teeth are as white as sheep that have been shorn and washed. And you've got all of your own. (laughs) Avril was just saying to me this morning, your thighs are like columns of alabaster. (laughs) In my dreams. (laughs) But it's beautiful stuff isn't it? When you, you know, it's, it's old and it's funny because we don't describe people in those terms anymore, but somebody has taken the time to write poetry about someone they love. Poetry about someone they love. And you do that because there's a deep and spiritual connection between you. The poems aren't about a far-off admiration or a lust for something. They're about love. Love in all its completeness. So how might we talk openly and honestly about this eros, this erotic love? What guidance might we have? Well, if eros, this erotic love, is about physical attraction, but it's about love and how we're loved, and how we love other people. And part of that physical attraction is sex. So sex is a a physical expression of love, and that's part of the creative power that God gave us. We were created in God's image. God, our creator, gave birth to us, gave life to us, and put that possibility in each of us. And if that's the case, then surely Paul's description in Corinthians about what love is holds true also for erotic love. Because that love should be part of our completeness as human beings. So perhaps it would be fair to say erotic love is patient and kind. That it's not jealous or conceited or proud. 
that it's not ill-mannered or selfish or irritable, that it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It's not happy with evil, but is happy with the truth. Paul tells us that without love, we are nothing. Without love, we're just a clanging gong or a noisy cymbal. All noise and no substance. And in the same way, sex without love is empty. Without love, eroticism is not the gift that God gave to us as a way of expressing our deepest intimacy. God's deepest desire is for us to have loving relationships with one another because he wants to have a loving relationship with us. He wants to love us and for us to love him and to love one another. And to express that love in ways that are good. Because love is the shaping and imaging and imagining of life. Love had to fill the universe with the very possibility of life. Love lets nothing miss the chance of life. Love names the me inside of me. It directs me to the you that you are. It connects and binds us together. Love is the richness that gathers us. Love is the blessing of one another. Love is limitless in our giving for one another. Love is in each breath that we take and each step that we make together. Love, including erotic love, is the possibility of the kingdom unfolded by each of us in one another. And right in the middle of that is the God who loves us all. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you have any comments, questions or thoughts about this week's sermon, then please do get in touch. We use anchor.fm to create this podcast and you can go there and leave us a voice message or you can find us on Facebook at St Ninian's Church Stonehouse and on Twitter at St Ninian's Stonehouse where you can find out all about the other great stuff that's going on in our church. If you're in the neighbourhood and want to join us in person, we meet for worship every Sunday at 11am. We'd love to see you.